As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a very meaningful conversation for you today with the one and only Osprey Oriel Lake. She is the author of The Story is in Our Bones, subtitled How Worldviews and Climate Justice Can Remake a World in Crisis. Osprey Oriel Lake is the founder and executive director of the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, otherwise known as We Can. She sits on the executive committee of the Global Alliance for the Rights of Nature and the steering committee for the Fossil Fuel Non-Proliferation Treaty. You can lift your arms up now. Get excited. She writes for The Guardian, Common Dreams, The Ecologist, and other publications. She is the author of Uprisings for the Earth, and she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area on Coast Miwok lands. It is a great honor to welcome you to the podcast, Osprey. Thank you so very much for inviting me. Yes. Um, and I just want to make sure that I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Any corrections? Sounds perfect. Okay, wonderful. I have dog-eared about a dozen pages here, and I was holding back for us to talk about. I want to start on page 51, if our listener is joining us in. There's so much to learn from the wisdom embedded in this ancient story. For now, let's focus on the transmutation over a long interval from an ancient mother goddess society to a more patriarchal one. The transition from a reverential and reciprocal relationship with the natural world to a dominating, extractive one. This same transition was happening in many cultures globally in a similar historical time frame with the downfall of the mother goddess and respect for the feminine. So goes the loss of respect and reciprocity practices for the earth. I haven't shared the story, but I'm sharing that paragraph that sort of bookends the story because it's so important that we realize it wasn't always like this. And I would love to dive in here, Osprey, with that understanding and that sort of question. Wow, it wasn't always like this, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> and uh, thank you for sharing that portion of the book. And what I'm looking at and I'm really interested in is not that we can transport ourselves to the past, nor should we, or try to bring ourselves into the present as if we could relive our past, but rather to look at a time in which all of us from all over the world, whatever heritage and origins we have, that were deeply connected to the land and rooted in place, in season, with our community, and 
understanding really an animate relationship with the web of life. And we all come from those traditions and many, many, many of us have a broken and tattered sort of connection to those pasts. And I think it's really critical at this time as we're in interlocking crises from ecological climate crises to social crises um, that we understand that part of the healing from my perspective is to not only look forward but understand that we need to also regenerate deep-rooted knowledge that we all carry within us that needs to be revitalized at this time because without a connection to that umbilicus in our deep in our bones deep in the earth there's a sense of orphanage from our earth so yes there's a lot of importance to us reclaiming our heritages and our stories and our relationships with the land that comes from our unique ancestries. And so I think this is something I'm really looking at as we look at moving forward, remembering our pre-colonial, pre-patriarchal pasts in which we are deeply relating to the land and each other in a much healthier way. Moving on to the next page, only plants and algae have the power to convert energy from the sun into chemical energy. They do this by using solar energy to transform water into carbohydrates. Through this process, release oxygen into the air. This stunning phenomenon creates food for animals, air for them to breathe. Of all the planets in our solar system and in our entire galaxy as far as we know, ours is the only one where the conversion of light into chemical energy occurs. Photosynthesis is what makes the life we have on Earth possible. You go on to talk about the importance of the trees, the conversations of the trees, the functions of the trees, the forest being a place of infinite kin relationships, I'm on page 53, top, that create community and rootedness to place. How can we humans participate in this ecology as respectful relatives? So, of course, we know so many humans uh, between us who are doing this work, among them, as you wrote, Suzanne Samard. This work is probably, weirdly, the most important thing that we can do right now, because without it, we are going to lose everything. You go on to say that climate change, the threat to our global forests in a variety of ways, including through temperature rise, is because photosynthesis decreases as extreme heat prevents plants from absorbing the amount of carbon dioxide they were previously able to absorb. Couple this with increasing demand for land, lumber, agribusiness, which is basically just big conventional farms growing one thing, which is not natural, as you know, our listener. Our planet's ability to sequester carbon in forests is drastically diminished now. You mentioned Suzanne Samard's Mother Tree Project, which is wonderful, and um, just questioning how we should be helping the forests. I just wonder where you are putting your energy in this direction, aside from writing, which I know um, has taken just so much of your time. I love the mention of Jamie Yazzie, who's the forest technician of the Navajo Nation, conducting research on tree rings. You know, there's all kinds of work being done, and I wonder what resonates with you the most and what you're closest to. Well, I think there's, um, you know, different dimensions of entering this conversation from our personal relationship with 
the plants and the trees and really reconnecting with the earth through these beings that allow us to live that we wouldn't even be here without. And then in a very practical, hands-on way at the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, we have a whole women and forest program. And just to give a few practical examples, we have been working for about eight years now in the Democratic Republic of Congo with a dear colleague um, who's our coordinator there, Nima Namandu. And um, right now we're reforesting the Atombe rainforest, which was uh, decimated through slash and burn techniques. And also because of colonization and war in the region, a lot of the indigenous local populations have ended up then going to some of the remaining last old growth forests for all of their needs. So through this reforestation program, we are reforesting damaged lands and about 25% of the trees are for human use in the communities and about 75% of the trees that we grow are to rewild and reforest this damaged area. But significantly what has happened is that we've grown enough trees now that uh, we're protecting 1.6 million acres of old growth forest in the Congo Basin because now humans have the trees that we've grown. So it's been really, really exciting. It's also really lifting up women's leadership in the region and helping to provide uh, more peaceful situations for them in war-torn areas. Um, So it's been very holistic. And of course, as we protect the old growth forest, this is very important to carbon sequestration and mitigating the worst impacts of the unfolding climate crisis. And then I'll just give one other example because I'm really excited about this new project. We've worked for many, many years with very powerful Indigenous women from the Amazon, particularly in the Ecuadorian and Brazilian Amazon. Very courageous women leaders who literally put their bodies on the line to protect their longstanding forest communities and their traditional territories. Um, And in one region, because of extraction, whether it's fossil fuel extraction or mining and again, a lot of harms to the forest, the women have let us know that there are very specific tree species that are beginning to go extinct. And so the project we have just finished designing with them will be to go out into very remote regions in the Amazon and collect seeds from these special trees and start nurseries and reforest these regions, these special trees that are going extinct so that we can help Uh, bring back the ecological integrity to um, this particular area of the Amazon, which is in the Ecuadorian, southern Ecuadorian um, region. So I'm very excited about this. But within this knowledge, the women also tell us, you know, it's the ecological integrity of the forest, but also that these trees have specific spirits and specific relationship to the entire ecosystem, and they don't want to lose them. And they have something, uh, a large vision um, through the Sariaco people called the Living Forest Declaration, or Kausaksacha, which is a, a very powerful offering that they've made around a declaration to the government about how indigenous people in the region view protecting forests that are outside of Western views of uh, forest conservation. And so I'll leave it at that. I write about it in my book, and people can also go directly to Kausaksacha, or Living Forest Declaration, uh, from the Sariaco people in Ecuador. And it's it's very profound to understand a very different relationship with the living forest. Thank you for that. I also got kind of obsessed with your whole telling of the how the antecedents 
that come from cultures that carry traditions that honor a world tree, similar to the tree of life. Um, there are so many different kinds of trees, and I've made notes about this. The Norse look at an ash tree as the world tree. Oak and some other mythology, I'm turning pages. India has the fig tree or the Bodhi tree. Central Asia has the beech tree. Central America and South America, the Seba tree. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Amazing. Chinese mulberry or hibiscus. I mean, it's so beautiful. I look at the world uh, in so much turmoil, so many wars going on, and I, I think about how every single one of these traditions, even religions, we've all got a tree. You know, that's profound. My question for you, to achieve a sense of balance in one's mind, uh, in the Welsh phrase, literally translates as, to return to my trees. Like, it just made me giggle and smile, and then I started crying when I read that for the first time. But you implore us to know the stories of our own traditions, and maybe even some others, in order to begin the journey of remembering and mending our really broken relationship with the earth. I know that this book is one of the most beautiful books I've ever read, and you go into a little bit later, around page 100, we go into how we figured out that these goddess traditions were so vital for so long, and how these earth-centered people sort of lost touch with the feminine principle and were overtaken by patriarchal societies. I wonder if... This is possible, do you think, in our lifetime to bring back this understanding, to bring back this feminine narrative into a central place in our existence? Well, I think in many ways, the knowing of this and the knowledge of this is already inside of us. And so I think the work ahead is to normalize, if you will, and contextualize our conversations in light of lifting up the feminine principle. And I think we're seeing this all over the world, different expressions, and uh, whether it's dismantling the patriarchy in different societal and cultural contexts, or women fighting for their rights, or women sharing stories or women meeting in circle again. I think that, you know, we're seeing this huge rise of the feminine and rise in women's leadership. And I think that we're also seeing equally the pushback and the oppression of that movement forward. And I think this tension point can become very violent in some regions and we can't ignore that fact, uh, the different freedoms in different countries uh, for women or even expressions of the goddess or the expression of what it means to be a woman and have power and have leadership and voice and agency. So I think we're in the throes of a um, struggle that has been going on literally for thousands of years. And, you know, whether this will all be played out in our lifetime, I don't think so. I think it's something that has been building for generation after generation. And that balance is going to come. And each of us stand on the shoulder of women and powerful feminists before us that have got us to this point. 
And we need to carry that torch and continue that struggle and visioning and healing in our lifetime and realize that we're going to be handing on that torch or that baton to our children to carry on. Because I truly believe that one of the root causes of the poly crisis that we're in is because an imbalance and this patriarchal stronghold. And I would add to that the, the connection between patriarchy, racism, colonization, and our extractive economy, at this time, capitalism. And so I think we need to understand this intersectional approach that the rise of feminism and the understanding of the feminist principle brings, which is relational and an understanding of these connections um, and that we are in a collective interconnected struggle to free ourselves from these oppressions of patriarchy, racism, militarism, colonization, our economic frameworks. It's all a connected system that now needs to be surfaced, needs to be discussed, needs to be challenged and needs to be healed and brought forward a very different way of relating to each other, to the earth, and our worldviews. Thank you for that thorough answer. Talking about it is first, I want to bring out on page 222, rising with great strength and brilliance from this tragic context. Parenthetically, we were previously on previous pages talking about the plight of the black farmer particularly in America, from this tragic context are new generations of black farmers. This makes me smile. I know a couple, such as Leah Penniman. She's a black Creole woman farmer, co-founder of Soul Fire Farm in New York. She is teaching youth and black, indigenous, Latinx farmers, regenerative farming, commercial aspects of agriculture, because you do need to know about that, Afro-Indigenous farming practices, silvopasture, sustainable construction, spiritual farming practices, and wild crafting through hands-on immersion and workshops, as well as her books, there are three, Uprooting Racism, Seeding Sovereignty, and Farming While Black. Penniman grew up in a mostly white town where she faced racist bullying, but her refuge lay in the earth and in the forest. Years later, she found her passion when working on an urban farm in Boston. As she explains, quote, I found an anchor in the elegant simplicity of working with the earth and sharing her bounty. What I was doing was good, right, unconfused, shoulder to shoulder with my peers of all hues, feet planted firmly in the earth, stewarding life-giving crops for black community. I was home. And I have a dear friend, if you ever listen to this, you know who you are. Starts with a K. I love you, and I'm so proud of the work that you're doing down in Florida. You go on to talk about Pediment, who continued to struggle with the historical connections between agriculture and the enslavement of black people, of course, in her North American context. She found integration and answers on a visit to Ghana. This is so cool where she learned of the indigenous earth spirituality of Vodun. She is now a manye, or queen mother, of the tradition. In dreams, she saw herself planting maize on Krobo Mountain, where the only indigenous Krobo farming people were allowed to plant. Her Ghanaian ancestry was later confirmed. Farming was long in her lineage. In her work, again, this is Leah Penniman, P-E-N-N-I-M-A-N, for our listener, strives to increase the land stewardship of black, indigenous, and Hispanic farmers. 
and really to serve them by helping them rediscover their powerful ancestral relationships with the land. These are the conversations I think we need to have. And this is probably, for me, the best example. There are so many great examples in the book, but the best example that I can put my hands on this example of somebody who has taken the total shit show of North America, listened well to her intuition, and realized what she can use of that tradition and intuition to plant it back here. And wow, this one really impressed me. Yeah, I so agree. I love Leah Peniman and her work and her leadership. And as you say, her strength in completely understanding the current context she's living in and transforming it into an amazing, successful transformation of actual work, but a narrative of how to rebuild out of completely colonialized, racist contexts, a very different vision in a way going forward that is filled with hope and regeneration and reciprocity and beauty and strength and wisdom. Um, So I completely agree with you, which is why I wanted to highlight her story Um, I also wanted to share one other that you just reminded me of. We work very closely with one of my mentors and friends and colleagues from a long time, Casey Camp Hornick from the Ponca Nation, who's an elder there. And I just uh, recently was with her in Ponca Nation through WeCam. We have supported uh, her vision, which is to, and it, it is now completed and the project will continue to build a traditional Ponca earthen lodge which is, hasn't been built in over 150 years, the first one to be built again. And it is an incredible structure. And you can tell from the name Earthen Lodge that it is embedded in the earth and is a mound. And it is a multi-generational, multi-purpose space in which food is grown on top of the lodge and all around it. Inside the lodge, food is stored. It is also a place of teaching and ceremony and a place for community meetings. It is also, in our time, a place of safe shelter uh, during tornadoes and hurricanes that are now coming through Oklahoma, where Ponca Nation now is. And as we look at the climate crisis, this is sort of a response to a colonial and climate context for Indigenous people in her region. And so this lodge has been built and we were there in a way to really welcome the opening of the lodge. And I was just so touched. Women from all over the region came to have ceremony together, to bless the lodge and to really envision their way forward and how they're going to grow their food, how they're going to meet, um, what they're going to teach there and really a deep revitalization of their traditional ecological knowledge and teachings for themselves, but also uh, the larger community. So beautiful. Thank you, Element, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. We have been personally using Element for well over a year. Element is spelled L-M-N-T. Elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house. Every night before bed, James and I split a packet. Helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? 
And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link, drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. This past weekend, I had the occasion to sit for a talk with uh, chefs Lois Ellen Frank and Walter Whitewater of the Diné people here in New Mexico, and they gave a talk in which they really beautifully articulated a lot of the work that you're quoting here with regards to the importance of kind of rewilding even the diets along with the farming practices of the indigenous folks here. It was so important for me to be up close with them, and we ate some food that the residents of Upaya had made based on their recipes, and they have a new book out. It really struck me, and I came home, and I reread the last sort of section of the book uh, regarding worldviews conjured by words, just to kind of steep a little longer after the talk was over. And I opened to 295, which I had flagged for myself, but I wanted to read that out loud. Nola taken alive. Uh, she's a member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribal Council, lost both of her parents to COVID. Her father, Jesse taken alive, had been a fluent speaker and teacher of Lakota, a language carried by only 2,000 people at current, and had long encouraged youth to speak Lakota, saying, quote, the language comes from the Creator, so it doesn't belong to one of us. The language belongs to all of us. So my message to all of the young people, the young men, the young women, the boys, the girls, this is your language. When you learn about it, you're going to be able to learn more about this beautiful thing called life. Because that comes from Wakantanka. And Wakantanka, just for our listener, is the name of the great Creator in this tradition. The opportunity to share your feelings, to share your thoughts, to express yourself comes with our language, and I ask you to have the courage. I believe that there will be a day that all of you will talk. Finally, in closing, I ask that you do this on behalf of all of us who are older than you. Take the courage to learn the language. Started crying again, of course, the first time I read that, and realized that the language that we need to learn right now, if I'm to follow your book, is the language of the earth. We cannot go forward like this and to, as you say on the on the back cover, rewild ourselves and rewild our dominant worldviews and start to build earth-centered communities. I think this is what we're tasked to do. And I just want to say thank you. I would love to hear from you a little bit more about your works that are coming in the in the coming years. 
the ways in which you are called to place your attention and the way in which your enthusiasm and consistency and care is coming through is felt. Mm. Thank you for that question. For me, it is really about living in different worlds, if you will, and weaving them together. So as executive director of the Women's Earth and Climate Action Network, uh, my day-to-day world is very, very hands-on with, you know, preparing to go every year to the UN climate talks to advocate with frontline Black, Indigenous, and Brown women for their rights, for protection for their communities, and to do everything we can to, you know, avert the worst impacts of the climate crisis. We're reforesting, as we talked about, or protecting old growth forests and working with food sovereignty. And we even meet with financial institutions to get them to change where they're financing so that we can have a healthy and equitable world. So there's this very practical work going on. But for me, I'm really aspiring to look at how can we go upstream and understand that our worldviews, our language, how we see ourselves in the great cosmology of life, as we talked about the beginning of our conversation with the trees and the plants and the stars and the rivers and the plants and the animals everywhere, how can we bring that intervention of life into the context of these spaces of working with um, our advocacy efforts, our projects and programs, so that there is not a separation between the kind of work we're doing on a daily basis and our deep understanding that, in fact, we need to approach it in a very different way, which is why, you know, the title of the book and the subtitle, I'm really getting into worldviews and how uh, we need to have this discussion at every level of our being in spaces that we wouldn't normally consider places where we could have that kind of multivalent conversation. We need to start ensuring that we can have conversations that are very spiritual, that are very political, that are personal, that are economical, that are racially just in every opportunity that we have. Because this kind of integration, I feel, is what's been missing, and that we bring our full selves to the table, wherever that table is, whether it's our kitchen table or the table of, you know, UN climate talks, that we need to be able to bring our full selves there for the kind of future that we want to build. Thank you for that. Thank you for your work. Thank you for all of the plants and animals and stars and trees and humans and animal four-legged beings and winged beings. Thank you for all of the work that you're doing. I can only imagine when I close my eyes how many of them that your book, your words, have helped, served in some way. And I want to remind our listener of the title of the book. It's called The Story is in Our Bones. Osprey. Oriel Lake. What a gift you are to this world. Thank you for being here with us and thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you so much for your generous words and having this time with me. Thank you.
Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.